you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200 k for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's Marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. And now, Move the Sticks, the Divisional Round, with Daniel Jeremiah, Bucky Brooks, and Rhett Lewis. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Move the Six, presented by Castro Ledge. DJ Bucky, Rhett, back with you here, guys. Coming off a, uh, a great weekend of football, some entertaining games, maybe the end of some careers, maybe the mm. launching of some others. Uh, what's going on, Buck? How you doing? Man, great football weekend. I think what's so exciting about the playoff weekend was not only watching the play of the quarterbacks, but watching how some of these teams have come together. And I think we're in a situation where the four best teams are in the Final Four, and that's what everybody wants to see. Yeah, no question. I think that's uh, that's a big piece of it. And I, I just, you know, every year uh, over the last 10 or so, we've just been constantly marveling at the consistent success of Tom Brady, uh, who's now getting set for his 14th championship game. We'll dig into it a little bit that's further, strange. but just want to let that sink in until we get to the Bucks portion uh, of this takeaway here because, uh, Bucky, I know you're going to lead it off for us, man. It, it's it's just I continue to marvel uh, at the at the fact that he's had that consistent level of success 
uh, over the course of his career. Start us off, Buck. The Bucks. It's the squad that gets it done. Still no catches for Michael Thomas. You see the total yards in the game. Second and eight. Breeze throws, and he's picked by Devin White. Another turnover, and White picks his way down the sideline. Takeaway number three for this Tampa Bay defense. You, you know, Red, you, you brought up Tom Brady and Tom Brady going to the conference championship game and just kind of being a fixture there. I think the thing about the Bucks, though, they're so much more than Tom Brady. And Tom Brady played great, did a great job of managing the game and doing the things that he needed to do. But this, to me, was the best team effort that I've seen them put on display. The running game, two backs, Rojo, Ronald Jones, and Leonard Fournette combining for over 150 yards on the ground. The defense coming up with four turnovers. And the way that they really played complementary football, this Bucks team is dangerous. And they're dangerous also because the quarterback kind of sets the tone for everybody. And his ability to hold everybody to a high standard really galvanizes this unit. It's a dangerous team, but it's a team that we have to talk about the team. I think that's a great point, right? And he was the, you know, he is the the steadying force there for that team, which got some terrific production from their run game. They kept Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones fresh in this one. I mean, Ronald Jones, when he came in in the second half, looked like he had another gear. Um, and I think they, they were able to have success against the Saints defense uh, on the ground more so than many teams have in the last two years, really. Um, and I, I just think they were physical. They were physical all night long. You saw it early with Jensen uh, trying to take care of Alex Anzalone. You saw it with Devin White, Levante David on defense all over the field. You saw it with the way that they approached the Saints receivers. Didn't feel like they were afraid of anything deep uh, from the Saints offense. And then just to get back uh, to Brady, 14 conference championship appearances means he has a more than all but two entire teams in the NFL in terms of appearances in a conference title game. That's excluding the Patriots, who, of course, he uh, he got the 13 with. Um, so just to kind of put it in context again, I know we do this every year, but Brady more likely to make it to a conference title game in all the years he's been starting, almost twice as likely as Ted Williams was to hit a single. That's insane. It's like 75% that's pretty stu- of the time. That's, that's, that's good. That's a good way to put it into, into perspective. Um, look, my takeaway on the Bucks side, I thought Tristan Wirfs was a star of this game. When you go back and watch the tape, they left him on an island out there with Cam Jordan on, on a bunch of key downs, getting backs out, getting tight ends out, giving him no help out there whatsoever, uh, a plenty of runway there for Cam Jordan. And he held up, uh, showed his ability to anchor down, stayed square. He was outstanding in that game. I thought that first meeting or the first two meetings between these teams, the line of scrimmage was won by the Saints. I did not feel like that was the case in this one. I know, Rhett, you're getting us yeah. to uh, to takeaway number two as we're doing these yeah. this week. We'll flip over to the other side with the Saints. So your takeaway from them. Turnovers signal an era is over in New Orleans. And to put it quite simply, turnovers ruined the Saints. Four in total. Uh, the first three, of course, leading to touchdowns uh, for the Bucs in the final one just flat out ended the game. I mean, that was where that was when you boil it down. That's what this came down to. They scored 21 points off three wow. Saints turnovers and the fourth turnover ended the game. Like that's it. The complicated part of that scenario is that it was likely Drew Brees' final game. If it is, Brees goes out with the worst playoff performance of his Hall of Fame career. And I hate 
that that's how it happened. Would have much rather rather this have been like a 45-41 game, you know, where both quarterbacks got after it. I, I just – for the greatest player in Saints franchise history, for one of the most notable New Orleans icons, because that's what Drew Brees is right now, um, it was a tough way to see it. Like he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, deserved to go out better, but reality sucks sometimes. And, you know, this is kind of mm-hmm. funny. Like I go back to um, – like. Two of my favorite uh, sports movies. Well, I don't know. I don't know if one of them is a favorite. But For Love of the Game is one of my favorites, right? With the legendary Vin Scully providing some commentary in that Kevin Costner classic. And so he says, you know, Billy Chappell isn't pitching against left-handers. He isn't pitching against pinch hitters. He isn't pitching against the Yankees. He's pitching against time. And that's what it felt like for Drew Brees. It wasn't that he was going up against uh, Sean Murphy bunting or Levante David or Todd Bowles' scheme. He was battling time. And in this case, time seems to have come uh, for Drew Brees. You know, Red, it's funny because in boxing, guys always talk about wanting to go out on the shield. Let me go out on the shield. If I'm going to go out, let me go out or whatever. And I think Drew Brees, even though this wasn't the performance that he wanted, this is the way that he would have wanted to go out. Go out fighting, swinging, trying to make it happen to get the New Orleans Saints to another conference title game and a Super Bowl. And unfortunately, it just didn't work out. And I think Father Time certainly played a big role in this. But I also will say some of the issues that had popped up for the Saints throughout the year in terms of their inability to get down the field, maybe the lack of explosiveness on the perimeter. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers basically played a, a style of football that made the New Orleans Saints play half-court basketball at the YMCA. I mean, they could not push the ball down the field, and it just felt like the field got shorter and shorter and tighter and tighter. And unfortunately, that's what happens, not just because of Breeze, but because of the personnel that the Saints have on the perimeter. I thought Rhett was going to say his favorite sports movie was Dodgeball. Was going to do duck, dodge, dive, duck, whatever <laughs> Damn, that, whole, that whole thing about. No, the, the other to, one was Moneyball. Uh, was the way, where okay. uh, the scout's sitting in in, uh, in in Billy Bean's house. And he says, you know, at some point in time, we're all told we can no longer play the child's game. Right? Some of us are told at eighteen. Some of us are told at forty. In this case, mm-hmm. it felt like Breeze was told at forty-two. Well, I feel like I know uh, Rhett's favorite movies now, so that's a big bonus here, Uh, bonus takeaway. Uh, I'll get us to takeaway number three. We'll switch gears, get over to this next game here with the Bills and the Ravens. And my Bills takeaway, just a better ball security. Allen out of the gun, takes the high snap, throws to Dix to the left at the five, lowers his shoulder into the end zone. Touchdown, Buffalo. A three-yard splash from Allen to Dix, and the Bills lead it 9-3. to Buck, I feel like we talked about this on the phone. Buck, we talked about this on the phone after the game um, about how, man, it, you know, Josh Allen has a fumble in that game, but they fall on it. And then Lamar Jackson has the, you know, the pick six that changed the whole game. I mean, it was really just the difference between, uh, you know, protecting the football and then the turnover. And if you go back and look at the Bills against the Colts, that's a very good Colts defense. They did a good job protecting the football in that game. Um, so they've... They've, they've been able to play a cleaner brand of football. They didn't score a lot of points in this game. The offense wasn't as explosive. They were very one-sided. They came out through it a zillion times. They have no running game to speak of. And normally when that happens, you know, you're going to get some turnovers that come along with that, and they were able to avoid that. So I thought that was the key from, from Buffalo's standpoint. And I also thought, man, uh, they, they dodged a bullet there on the defensive side of the ball. When you go back and watch the tape, 
and uh, we'll talk about this on the aftermath, but there were dudes. They had dudes wide open, um, and the wind was a factor on one deep ball. Lamar didn't see a, a couple of them. They had a miss, a back. Dobbins missed a, a pickup uh, down there in the red zone. They had Hollywood Brown wide open for a touchdown. There were some missed opportunities there on the other side. Uh, Buffalo got a little bit fortunate from that standpoint, Buck. Yeah, very, very fortunate for them. But let's give the Buffalo Bills credit because this is a team that is really what I call a very resilient hard-nosed football team and so much is made about Josh Allen and the wonderful things that he does for this offense but defensively DJ they were leaking oil bad the first drive they couldn't stop the run and they got a break when Justin Tucker missed the first or two missed field goals and they were able to come to the sideline recalibrate the defense get it settled and they did a pretty solid job the rest of the night and so Leslie Frazier Sean McDermott give them credit because it was the mix of soft zone with cover zero pressure that really threw off the rhythm of this Baltimore Ravens offense and on first down in particular forcing the Ravens in the long yardage situations second and third and long that was the key to them being able to play successful defense we'll see if they can do it going forward but for right now this Bills team is rolling and they look good going into the Kansas City Chiefs matchup yeah, and you guys talked about the ball security, right, DJ? I mean, like, that was the key for Josh Allen and, and company against the Colts and against the Ravens, especially in a game where he threw it 37 times. I mean, he handed it off just once in the first half, like once. Um, the 32 rushing yards, fourth fewest, I think, in a playoff win in, in NFL history. But can they continue to survive if he's chucking it 37 to 45 times a game? I think that's the question that we're all asking here, right? Because I don't think you can afford to give the Chiefs any extra possessions, right? Because they're always going to take advantage, it seems, um, on on what they have in in a normal flow of the game. So that'll obviously be key. And this will kind of get us into the next takeaway, which is mine on the, the losing side of this divisional game, which for the Ravens means that they must evolve. The Ravens must evolve, particularly in the pass game. Hollywood Brown said it best, right? I mean, he goes, when you're when you're number one in rushing and 32nd in passing, something's wrong. That's not balance. That's not right. We've got to figure that out. Now, went on to say that like he thinks he'll that the Ravens and he and Lamar Jackson will have the best offseason of their careers trying to figure this thing out. But it's a it, it's more than just you know, the players figuring out a, a way to be better. It's this whole scheme has to evolve a little bit and they got to find a way to be more productive, more consistently productive in the past game. They got to find a way to more consistently use his skill set in particular, talking about Marquise Brown, and they got to find just a, a, a better go to target because if they can't get it to Mark Andrews, it's just like they don't have that consistent piece out there, that, that true like number one receiver type. Um, and, and so that's got to be a bigger uh, – the pass game has got to be a bigger part of the attack. Uh, this, because, like, it, it's clear we, t- we were talking about on, on our aftermath production meeting, and you're going to hear it uh, starting at 3 o'clock Eastern time today, that there, there's a ceiling for this brand of offense, and, and that's what we're seeing right now. And the ceiling is the second round of the playoffs for the Baltimore Ravens. Um, you know, the, the other thing that – I was thinking about, um, you know, in this one, when it comes to the pass game is, you know, like what, what are they going to do to find some answers? Right. And, and, and that's that's really what it comes down to here. And, and I don't know what that is, if that's a coordinator change, if that's just an overall overhaul of what they're doing, Bucky. But but where do they go from here? So here, here's the thing. And here's the thing that is dangerous. If you're the Baltimore Ravens, the fan base and you're looking at the final result, the final result is you lost in the divisional round. 
However, with Lamar Jackson at quarterback, you're 31 and eight. And so the style of offense that they played has been very, very effective for them during the regular season. Now, I hear Hollywood Brown's concerns, but I would challenge Hollywood Brown like, hey, you, you need to be better. Like they drafted him in the first round. They expected him to be a big time playmaker. And he has been inconsistent in his own game. I will say this. All they had to do is look across the field and look at what the Buffalo Bills did and the impact that Stefan Diggs had on Josh Allen's development and on the overall development and the evolution of this offense. They need to go and get a true number one receiver and not a young receiver in the draft, but an established veteran that can come in and be a difference maker in the passing game because that's the missing piece. The one person on the field on the perimeter that Lamar Jackson can go Hey, I always can throw a pass to this guy. I know he's going to be open. They need a skilled number one receiver to kind of put the finishing touches on an offense that is very difficult to defend, but doesn't have enough on the perimeter to challenge you in the passing game. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna push back, Buck. I'm gonna push back on Marquise Brown here. This is this is a Ravens offense averaging in the regular season over the last three years. And this is not not just the Lamar Jackson games. I think it would be even higher because the, the offense took off with Lamar when he first got in the lineup. But if you just average over the last three years, 29 points in the regular season, they're averaging 13 points a game in the postseason. And we can talk about Hollywood Brown, but let's go to the numbers. Hollywood Brown, and his he's played three playoff games. He had seven for a buck 26, seven for a buck 09, and four for 87 against Buffalo. And when you watch the tape, he could have had 200 yards receiving in this game. He's wide open all over the field. They can't get the ball to him. And some of that had to do with some blitz pickup. Some of it just missed throws from Lamar. Um, but I don't think, I mean, on the list of problems that they have, Hollywood Brown is not one of them. I mean, they, they can go out and get him some help. I think they'd be better suited to go out and get a back that can really catch the ball. You think about J.K. Dobbins, not, he's just not the a drops. natural pass catcher. The drops, the drops killed the drops. him. It killed him early in that game. So to give him a back that can really catch the ball, yeah. that can do more after the catch, I think that would be a huge addition to that team. I mean, you look around the league and see some of these guys and what they can do out of the backfield. The Ravens really don't have that guy. But, th- you know, I want to go back to Bucky on this. I mean, you've got to do some soul searching because you go from 29 points to 13 points from the regular season to the postseason. you got you got to fix it, man. You, there is something wrong with this equation. And we've talked about the windows normally shrink in the postseason. Absolutely. Um, I mean, there's a lot to it. So, so here's the thing, my thing with Hollywood Brown. I like Hollywood Brown as a player, but he's small. And in the postseason, we've seen what everyone does. They walk up and they challenge you. And even though he can get open, because he's small, I don't know if you can see him amongst the trees when you're Lamar Jackson behind that line. Also, if they're going to pass more, the pieces up front in front of Lamar Jackson, they also have to be upgraded. Because the pieces that they have on the offensive line, they're better going forward than backwards. And so when they do this deep dive, they have to look at how do all of the pieces of the puzzle fit as they're trying to evolve this offense? Because this offensive line can block in a traditional drop-back game. No, it's a, it's a good discussion. I, I think it's going to be a, definitely uh, some soul-searching there. Look, they didn't have Ronnie Stanley, their left tackle. Um, they need to get help through there on the offensive line. But I, I agree. I think trying to find the missing pieces, whether that's getting a true number one receiver, a back that can catch – They've got to adjust something because they have an offense that's built for the regular season. They've got to fix it. Um, all right, Buck, what's takeaway number five? So takeaway for number five, Andy Reid plays to win. Shotgun snap to Henny, rolls onto the pocket, throws a pass. It's caught by Hill at the 50. He has the first down, then goes down at the 47-yard line on the far sideline in front of the Browns bench, and that'll do it. 
And how about the call by Andy Reid on fourth and inches, going in shotgun and calling a pass? Hey, look, Andy Andy Reid has more uh, intestinal fortitude than I would have <laughs> as a head coach. Like, some of the things that he does, I'm sitting here white-knuckling, I'm squeamish, I'm trying to figure out what is he doing. Hey, run it and punt it. But here he goes with a backup quarterback, Chad Henney. Third and long, they call a pass. Chad Henney, look, shows a lot of toughness and courage, scrambling and making a fourth and short situation. They break out in the shotgun. I'm like, okay, this is going to be the hard count, punt. They don't believe that the Cleveland Browns can push it. And then they snap the ball and run sprint right option with Chad (laughs) Henney. And I'm sitting there screaming like, no! And they complete it and they end the game. And then his comments after the game, like, hey, look, man. Is winner go home. This is it. And it just speaks to the confidence that he not only has in his own ability, but in the players. And I believe the Chiefs feed off of that confidence that he shows in them. Yeah, hey, look, going for it all. You know, I mean, like that, that's what uh, Tyron Matthew called him. Their, they called Andy Reid their spirit warrior. Um, feels like he's always got that one play that they need. And that was clearly it. But go, I mean, go back to the play before the fourth and one. Um, the 13 yard scramble from Chad Henney. Did anybody think that he had that in him? Uh, <laughs> no, I, I mean, I, I sure didn't. That caught me by surprise. I'm like, all right, he's going to take it. He's he, all right. He's going to get six. All right. Maybe he gets 10 yards. Oh my God. Like he almost got the first down. Like it just, I, I didn't expect it to happen until it actually did. And, um, you know, no guts, no glory. I mean, that's, that's the rule that Andy Reid lives by. You can go back to the first play that, uh, that Henney was in, right? I mean, they, the guts to go for it on fourth in that situation as well with your backup quarterback coming in cold off the bench. Um, look, I, I just think, yeah, that's, that's the way they're, they're rolling. They're now going to host an AFC championship game for the third straight year. First team in NFL history to do it. Um, and on a side note, how about uh, the play of the rookie cornerback? My guy from Louisiana Tech, Jerry Sneed's a good player. Yep. Um, he's yep. played really well for them this year. I, I think they played well on defense in this game, too. And, uh, you know, that that stop of the Browns late was really important uh, to get the ball back. I mean, I think they limited him to like 12 yards. Browns ended up taking three and a half minutes off the clock and got mm-hmm. nothing to show for it, had to punt it away. So um, nice work by the Chiefs. It always feels like there's one moment for a Super Bowl champion in the in the playoffs where it's kind of that could go either way. It's that defining moment. And it really kind of felt like, with Patrick Mahomes off the field and with Chad Henney, fourth down, where they're going for it, they don't get it. I mean, it is a short field there for the Browns to go down and win that football game. That, to me, just kind of felt like that moment. You think about, like, the Ravens, Jacoby Jones getting over the top against the Broncos. Like, there's there's always that kind of one moment that stands out for these teams that go on to win a Super Bowl. And that... That might be, Buck. That might be the the most adversity that Chiefs will face uh, going through the tournament here. So uh, they survived. They move on, and it's going to be fun to watch what happens with them and Buffalo when they get together uh, for round two. Uh, but Buck, how about a takeaway on the other side of this one? Last thing on the Chiefs. There's a difference in being ready and being prepared. Chad Henning playing in Week 17 allowed him to be prepared for a moment in the playoffs. A lot of times we laugh and snicker when people kind of mail it in that last week, but it ended up being a critical factor for the Chiefs. For the Browns, they're just one piece away. And I think that piece is in the passing game because there is a lot to like about this offense. I love the scheme. I love the running game with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. I like what they're able to do in the intermediate passing game with Austin Hooper and David Njoku and Jarvis Landry. But the one element that's missing 
is the vertical playmaking ability, meaning the misdirection passing game where you can take a shot. And so I tweeted about it. Maybe that's OBJ returning and being that one guy that can really stretch the field, but they need that one element because when you look at the teams that really run this style of offense, they always have somebody in the passing game on the perimeter that can make the big play happen. Right now, the Browns are lacking that when they don't have OBJ on the field. Yeah, uh, definitely some mistakes in this one, right? I mean, the Chubb drops uh, earlier in this game kind of kind of seem like they could have been big plays that didn't didn't quite materialize on the screens that were set up well. Um, you know, the touchback obviously was such a killer in this one for Richard Higgins. I mean, going in, uh, that ball pops out of his hands and goes through the end zone. Flip it, flip the possession. I, you know. I, I think the Chiefs were actually more proficient in the run game in this one, you know, which which isn't uh, something we normally say for teams that play the Browns. But I go back to that possession that I was just talking about. So, you know, Chad Henney is running this this offense now for the Chiefs. And I think that probably went into the decision for Kevin Stefanski to punt with what it was like uh, just over five minutes left, I want to say, in the game when they had a punt on fourth and nine. They took three and a half minutes off the clock and got 12 yards. Like at that point, it's 22 to 17. You got this game. You, you've got the ball in your hands and with an opportunity to go down there and take a lead and then put the game in your defense's hands with a backup quarterback on the other side. Man, you got to feel good about that scenario. And it just, it just, the, the Browns just didn't have it um, at that point. They didn't have that, that club left in their bag. Yeah, no doubt. But I am excited for this team going forward because the foundation's built. They have a really good offensive line. They've got their quarterback. They've got some skill players on the outside. They've got pass rushers. They've got a corner. They need to go out and get some linebackers that can run and cover. You can maybe add some more depth there in the secondary. You know, Buck mentioned, you know, having that vertical receiver. Well, if Odell Beckham's back, um, you check that off the list. He's got that. So, um, the foundation is in place. It's going to be a lot more enjoyable for Browns fans going into the offseason when you're not looking for your coach or your quarterback. I mean, they are settled into those two spots. Kevin Stefanski uh, did a phenomenal job here in his first year. He figured Baker's only going to get better as he gets more comfortable uh, in this system. All right, what's takeaway seven, Rhett? Yeah, takeaway seven, it's hard not to back the Packers' balanced attack. Ooh. Rodgers goes under center with Jones, the single back. Play action. Rodgers sits in the pocket, flings it over the left side. It is caught by Lazard on the run at the 20, up the middle to the 10, and he'll go into the end zone for the touchdown. Alan Lazard reaching out the fingertip grab, pulled in this time by the former Iowa State Cyclone to give the Packers a cushion, up 31-18 with 6.52 to go. And that was the dagger, right? And, and fitting that for Lazard, he's the one that seals the game after dropping a would-be touchdown grab earlier, atoning for the mistake and coming back and, and really sending Aaron Rodgers to a home NFC championship game for the first time in his career. I actually couldn't believe that. It just didn't, it didn't strike me that way until uh, it came out right after the game. So um, I, I thought their run game was really explosive on the day. Obviously, Aaron Jones had the 60-yard run. I thought that was, you know, that was huge. He had a, you know, it was a yard shy of a hundred yard day. Jamal Williams had some nice carries. I know AJ Dillon went down with an injury on a, uh, on a play where he fumbled, but still, I thought the run game was a big piece of the Packers' success today. And then, you know, kind of related to that, we'll, we'll talk about this on the aftermath again later today as well. The tight red zone for the Packers, they talked about it on the broadcast. They just run their offense. They don't have a special goal line package, right? They just run their offense when they get down there inside the five, which I think is why you saw Devontae Adams with his ninth 
touchdown from inside the five-yard line this season. That's the most we've seen in the NFL, tied for the most we've seen in the NFL in the last 30 years. Larry Fitzgerald and Des Bryant are the only other receivers to have nine touchdown grabs from inside the five. And they're not all like those fade routes, right? Like you saw the play where where they clearly lost uh, Jalen Ramsey trying to get through all the mess and keep up with Devontae Adams on that fast motion. Um, they just find ways to get him get him open in close. And if it's a first and goal from the half half yard line, they're not just going to try to jump over the line, you know, and traditionally run it in. They, I mean, it's just as easy for them to get Devontae Adams free for a touchdown. I think that's a that's a really nice answer to have down there in close. You know, Red, I, I think this game for me really illustrates a few different things with the Packers organization. One, um, their belief in their players, where they were able to, I guess, in the draft make some decisions that many of us on the outside question, but they believed in their development process of the weapons on the outside. Marquez Valdez, Scantling, you look at what Alan Lazar was able to do, Robert Tunyon, those guys have really developed and popped. And so Aaron Rodgers has weapons around him outside of Devontae Adams that we never really talk about. Two, the structure of this offense, as much as we love Aaron Rodgers and his improvisational skills, he has flourished in a more structured environment than Matt LaFleur has created for him. And so even though he is terrific, the structure of the offense makes the game easier for him. And even though we think about an MVP not necessarily needing the assistance of the coach, the coach has really made the game very easy for him. And then the last thing would be this defense is still much maligned against the run. And they still have issues against the run. But if they can dictate the terms where the offense gives them a lead and they can do what they want to do, which is hunt the quarterback. They are as tough as any to deal with. This Packers organization, this team kind of has it going. They are a very difficult team to kind of deal with. Yeah, I was looking at them, though, once they had won that game. Um, you had to believe that they were wanting to see the Saints and not the Bucks. who the Bucks <laughs> got after them earlier this year. Yeah. And, you know, just, just Drew Brees and that offense trying to come out in the cold, it wouldn't really make as much uh, sense there for them. But when you look at Tom Brady, who spent his whole life in New England, you know, he's probably hoping it snows. They can run the football there in Tampa. Uh, yeah. Tom's comfortable playing in that, mm-hmm. and they've got big physical receivers. So, I don't know. We'll see what happens. I haven't looked at the weather report yet. I'm hoping we get a snow day and a nice uh, wintry mix there uh, so we can watch Tampa and uh, Tom Brady go up against the Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers. It doesn't get any better than that. Uh, we switch it over to the other side. I'll do the eighth takeaway from the Rams side of things. And that's the, they've got a star in their hands. Cam Akers is going to be a star. Um, you look at this offense when it was at its best, it was running through Todd Gurley when Todd Gurley was in his prime at the peak of his uh, talents. And I think you're seeing now how this offense can function better uh, when it's more geared through Cam Akers, maybe more so than the quarterback. And, Buck, I feel like we, you know, we've known about this kid you know, going back to high school how highly recruited he was. And then at Florida State, their offensive line stunk. And we felt like going through the draft process, we talked about it all the time, that this was a, a steal for him uh, to be had where the Rams were able to get him. Yeah, perfect running back for this system. Um, Cam Akers, they've only scratched the surface on what he could be. Uh, everything that Dalvin Cook is, Cam Akers can be that and even more. Mm. Um, Cam Akers, his ability to get on the edges, to make stop-start cuts, and to get downhill, he's a remarkable fit. We saw them bring in some Wildcat. And I don't think people realize in high school, Cam Akers his senior year threw for over a couple thousand yards as a quarterback. And so they can do so much more with him 
that they have to do it. The one thing that I want Sean McVay to do is to understand what he has and to make sure that he continues to run the offense through the running game with the quarterback as a complimentary piece because when they do that, that is when this offense is really the most difficult to defend. Well, does anybody question the impact that Aaron Donald has on a team or on a game any longer? <laughs> I mean, it, it, this felt like like a one game um, kind of a similar situation to what the Colts dealt dealt with when Peyton Manning was out for an entire season with that neck injury. Like the entire franchise fell apart. And that's kind of what it felt like. Like the number one defense in football completely fell apart with Aaron Donald clearly not at 100 percent. Uh, played about half the snaps on defense. I mean, they gave up 484 yards. Look, I get the Packers are a really good team on offense, right? But, I mean, I just I expected a little more resistance from the Rams defense, and I think it was clear the impact that Aaron Donald has on that team, on that unit, and in that game. I mean, without question. I think, I think it's a huge um, void that was created when he goes out of the lineup. And so their ability, the Packers' ability to run the ball, um, certainly was – uh, boosted by yeah. the fact that number 91 wasn't there. And I felt like Aaron Donald can't wait for the next time he sees the Packers because I feel like the offensive line felt like they could bully him because he wasn't at full strength. And you can see the little <laughs> the testiness that was yes. going on. I felt like those guys, Jenkins and them, they were talking to Aaron Donald in little, a game on Saturday that, yeah, that they normally wouldn't engage in those conversations. So I can't wait to maybe 2021 in the fall where we get a chance to see them run that back because yeah. I don't know if that same kind of courage would exist if Aaron Donald wasn't at full strength. And guys, let's finish these final two takeaways of this 10 takeaway pod following the divisional round of the playoffs with a couple of news items. The first, of course, which has been a huge headline for the last couple of weeks with the Houston Texans, a franchise in turmoil. Obviously, you've read all the stories about Jack Easterby and now the hiring of Nick Casario and how that all went down. Basically, the end result is they have a quarterback who reportedly wants out in Houston. Talking about Deshaun Watson. DJ, you went so far as to uh, predict or just throw out a potential trade scenario with the New York Jets. Of course, like you always do, setting Twitter ablaze with uh, what was it? What was it about three first round picks? You had the Jets sending over yeah. to Houston and Houston then ends up getting their franchise quarterback in the process. Yeah, it, look, there's. We'll see what happens. It's just fun when these names pop up. I mean, this is a 25-year-old top five quarterback who's who's long, in a long-term deal. I mean, you're going to have to give up a lot um, if you're going to acquire somebody like Watson. Now, we'll see if that even gets that far, if he is able to, to kind of force his way out of there. But the Jets scenario just made sense to me because here they have the second pick. Um, you trade that second pick. They still have – the Jets still have the 23rd pick they got from Seattle for Jamal Adams. So you could trade the second pick this year – you're one of your two first-round picks next year, and then your first-round pick in 23. So if you're the Jets, 23 would be the only year you were left without a first-round pick, and somehow you would have parlayed um, the Jamal Adams picks that you picked up and made that basically uh, what turns into um, Deshaun Watson with yeah. a, you know a swap here or there. You'd still have Sam Donald. If, if Houston would want Sam Donald in the deal, you could include that in the deal, or you know, if they want to take a quarterback, which would make more sense to me at number two to kind of restart the process, if you're Houston and you are going to go through this massive rebuild, um, then, you know, you could take your quarterback there. The Jets would then be free to take Sam Darnold, trade him to Indy or to San Francisco for some picks. So um, that's a that's a wild scenario. The crazy thing is, though, is he has a no trade clause. 
So Deshaun Watson, not only could he try and force their hand to get out of Houston, Buck, yeah. but he could try and force their hand of where he goes. And by all accounts, everything that you read, um, it seems to be that Miami would be the preferred destination. You know, so let's look at the Miami scenario. When you look at the Miami Dolphins and the bounty picks that they have, they certainly have enough ammunition to make it worth their while. You think about the first-round pick where you have 3-18, and 18, then maybe being able to send back Tua Tungavailoa if they wish to include him in the deal. It certainly makes some sense. I think the big thing that you have to determine if you're the Houston Texans when you're dealing with the Deshaun Watson Understand the challenge of finding a franchise quarterback. It is very difficult to find a franchise quarterback. They don't just grow on trees. You don't find them in every draft. And even if you draft one that you think may be, then you have to play the game and see if they really are. You have one in the fold. I think it would be who the Houston Houston Texans to figure out a way to work it out with Deshaun Watson. And also, I don't want to say they need to play tough guy, but all of the things in the CBA – make it very prohibitive for a player to execute a holdout. And so this is one where communication can clear up a lot of this. I think they got to find a way to get in the room and talk it out. Yeah, a lot of work to be done in Houston on a lot of fronts. Obviously, they don't they don't have a head coach yet. Uh, there's been some talk about Leslie Frazier there, an interview now request going out with Eric Bieniemy for a virtual, uh, which is now allowed by the league as per Tom Pelissero here at NFL Network. So a lot left to be done Uh, in Houston, but priority number one is figuring out Deshaun Watson. Let's move on to the final takeaway, the final news item here. The Chargers have a new leading man here, DJ, and Brandon Staley won't have to go far to take over as the new head coach. Yeah, 34 years old, coming over from the Rams after one year as their coordinator. Uh, Did a phenomenal job with that defense this year. Was a a college quarterback. Um, Everybody that's been around him raves about him just in terms of his leadership, his intelligence, his ability to relate to players. Um, I know, uh, uh, Buck, you've always used the line when we've been talking over all these years about sometimes you have to have a wolf to coach a wolf, I want to say somewhere along those lines. Um, And you, you look at what he was able to do with a guy like Jalen Ramsey, um, to, to gain his respect, to be able to deploy him in a way that worked for this defense, that worked for him. Um, I think that that bodes well for his ability to relate inside the locker room. Um, and I thought a lot of people assumed the Chargers would go offense because of Herbert. But, uh, you know, we'll see. Do they keep the offensive staff? As we're recording this, we don't know that at this point in time. Do they keep the same group or do they bring in uh, some people to try and run that, that McVay offense here, the Shanahan scheme? Uh, with Herbert but the thinking is I believe when you look at the defense with some of the pieces in place if they can get Derwin James back keep him healthy Drew Tranquil comes back um, Joey Bosa they've got a lot of pieces here for them to have a really good defense pretty quick here with with coach Staley yeah DJ everything that I know and I've read about Brandon Staley has been very very impressive to watch his background coming up under the ranks, been assistant head coach at the junior college level, making his way to John Carroll at the D3 level, being a D coordinator, then finding his way into the league and having success. Very impressive. And I think the biggest testimony comes from Jalen Ramsey, who has been very vocal supporting Brandon Staley's prospects of being a head coach. Everywhere that you've seen the last two or three weeks, Jalen Ramsey has done nothing but give these verbal bouquets to Brandon Staley for how he put together plans, how he utilized the personnel. I think that speaks volumes. And you're right in talking about it takes a wolf to coach a wolf. One thing that I know about players, they respect knowledge and they respect those who can help them play at a higher level. Jalen Ramsey giving Brandon Staley a ring and endorsement, that will 
man, that will speak volumes and have a huge impact in the Chargers locker room, especially because Jalen Ramsey and Derwin James have a very tight relationship. Strike one up for the uh, coaching tree of John Carroll University once again. <laughs> I mean, we thought it might be the John Carroll uh, connection with Tom Telesco and Brian Dable, but it turns out it's the other way around. It's Telesco and Brandon Staley uh, now leading the L.A. Chargers. It, it, one of the we talked about it. One of the most desirable head coaching uh, vacancies out there now filled. There's still two remaining in Houston and in Philadelphia. Well, Buck, it was a fun episode today. Uh, great going through the the weekend's games. But, man, now we're down to the final four, and now it gets exciting. It's going to be a lot of fun, man. Yeah, because, DJ, you're talking about the best four teams. Like, the four best teams are, are here. When, when we look at it, you have to be able to be a balanced team. You have to have a quarterback. You have to have an offense that has a running game and perimeter weapons. You have to have a style of defense. And all the teams that are left in the postseason have that. And so – it's going to be fascinating to see which teams advance to the Super Bowl. Yeah, I love the fact they're both rematches, right? Both these games, uh, we've seen these teams square off in the regular season. We get a chance to to see it again here. Health will be a big factor again. We'll keep you updated on this game and on these two games uh, throughout the week on the Move the Six podcast. I do want to thank you so much for hanging with us today. It's been a lot of fun. and We look forward to catching up with you next time right here on Move the Sticks, presented by Castrol Edge. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. 
It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com.